must have conversations. And um, it is a very momentous time in Louisiana. We have an incredibly important um, election coming up this weekend. And um, as the ads that you just heard uh, told you, it's so important for you to get out to vote. Um, we're going to have some fun on the show tonight. We're going to talk about Forest of Val, which is a great event that brings you out into the green part of our city, and a cheese festival in the French Quarter that I know you're going to want to be at, and I just had a little teeny taste of it. I can tell you, you want to do it. But we're going to start off with Ashley Shelton, who is executive director of something called the Power Coalition. I love that name, Ashley. Hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> it is such a great um, uh, name for an organization, and, uh, it, and and you mean it, don't you? We do, we do. You know, it's so interesting. Like, for folks in community, when, you know, like, we always think of power sometimes as a bad word, and, and it's actually, you know, a, a, a significant word that we need to be building power in our communities and building voice. So that we can actually, you know, have the elected decision makers um, that govern our, you know, govern so much of our lives, um, you know, to make the kind of decisions that actually align with our values and our voice. And so, um, and so that's what we've been trying to do for the last five years is just build voice and power all across the state of Louisiana. Well, I, I, I just I'm in admiration for you taking it on, and um, I'm particularly excited that you have taken on uh, the get out the vote effort for this election. And I, I want you to tell me all about it. I want you to tell me what you're doing, but also what all of us can do. I mean, uh, what I what I said in my newsletter to people, and what I say all the time is that this is our power moment. This is how we express our power is through our vote. It. And it seems like such a small thing, but it's really such a big thing, especially when you hear about a race that could be settled with less than a dozen votes, which happened in our run in our first um, primary. So um, tell me a little bit about what you're doing and, and, and how it's going out there. I mean, are we getting I, we, I heard that there was a pretty hefty early vote initially. Did that continue all the way through the entire early voting Cycle. Absolutely. So what was um, super exciting is that, you know, from the primary to the, um, you know, to the, um, you know, to the runoff uh, for early vote, it was 25 percent in the primary. It was over 30 percent, um, you know, well, for African-American voters in the, um, you know, in the in the runoff. And so we've been seeing, you know, really high numbers. Um, for the primary, I mean, for the runoff, the numbers for the early vote and the runoff were higher than the numbers in the primary for early vote. So um, lots of energy, you know, lots of folks, you know, kind of, you know, lots of momentum and energy, which I think we assumed was there, but maybe wasn't there in the primary. And so we're really excited that folks are really engaging and having conversations and, you know, really trying to understand who these candidates are and, you know, and what, and how are they engaging and caring about the issues that they say are important to them. And so, um, you know, and so I, you know, like I feel encouraged. I mean, I'm, I literally just got off the road from Shreveport. Um, I've been in Alexandria. I'm in Lafayette tomorrow. You know, we've just been talking to voters all over the state. Um, and trying to get them excited about, you know, like this is your opportunity to say what kind of what kind of state do we want to live in? You know, like we're we're fighting for the soul of, you know, like of who we are and like and what kind of values really matter to us um, and what kind of leadership we want. And regardless of you know party, like this is really about like who are we and and how do we want to move forward as a state? 
So, so tell me a little bit about um, what you're hearing out there from voters as you've been going around, and, uh, and 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 let's talk about why this particular race is so important. Yeah, I mean, I think that voters are, you know, are engaged at a different level than they were in the primary. You know, like we're hearing from voters that, you know, like really just more access and more information. And so I know one thing that we've been prioritizing, you know, like we've just, you know, we've just been pushing out, you know, literature, um, you know, like sample ballots and a voter, you know, a voter guide. And so you can go to our website at powercoalition.org and, you know, and find all kinds of resources about, like, what's the what's the power of, the you know, the governor? What's the power of the lieutenant governor? What's the power of secretary of state, right? Like helping people just connect to, like, what do these people actually have the power to decide about their lives? Um, and then also, too, like just creating those really simple resources, like here's the, here's what's going to be on your ballot when you go into the booth. And um, and people really take into that and really been excited to engage. I mean, we did a uh, we supported Southern and um, they're kind of prowl to the polls. And, um, and, you know, so many of the students just, you know, appreciate it. And we walked through the ballot and talked about it. And um, and, you know, and I think what's important, you know, like what, what continues to kind of get reflected back to us about why this race is so important is that. You know, like, do we do we continue to move forward on the issues that people say they care about? You know, we've been touring the state. You know, we do a, a listening tour every year. This year we've done three, right, just in preparation for this election and to really ground truth our agenda. And, um, and you know, in our agenda as the Power Coalition, you know, there were four things that kind of rang true for folks. One was around economic opportunity and raising the wage, equal pay. Um, um, and, and, and those types of things. Um, the second was around, uh, you know, it, it continued criminal justice uh, reform. Um, and the third was um, around fiscal fairness, like how do we balance the budget of the state, not on the backs of working people, but that business actually pays their fair share. And then the last was around redistricting, that, you know, this legislative body and this gov- and whoever the governor will be, they will redistrict the state of Louisiana, which is one of the greatest points of power that we have as citizens, is whether or not we actually have voice in the congressional districts that we live in, and the, the state districts that we live in, and the, you know, municipal districts that we live in. And so this is a real you know, like this is a real important moment that we find ourselves in because this body will, you know, will determine, you know, what the state looks like and who has voice and who doesn't. And so, um, and, you know, and with the recent, you know, repeals, um, you know, with the Supreme Court um, and without those protections, you know, we've really got to, you know, get folks, you know, to commit to, um, you know, to fair and equitable redistricting. And so those were the things that were on our agenda. But we've heard other things around health care education um, certainly has been rising to the top for people and people trying to understand, you know, like what's really at stake, you know, what do, you know, like what does it really mean, um, you know, to, um, you know, like who's, who, what are they talking about? Because I think a lot of times we assume that people understand all this political rhetoric and all the things that people say on TV. But the reality is is that folks are just trying to connect to, like, okay, here's what's happening in my life right now, and which one of these (laughs) candidates actually cares about these things. And so we've just done a lot of work to just try to demystify the process and give people quick, you know, access to, you know, all the information. Here's the power that they have. 
you know, here's what their agenda is. You know, we did a, we, we certainly did a, um, we did a survey. So we, we also did our first progressive report card this year. Super excited about that. Um, and we also, you know, did a redistricting pledge and, you know, got almost a hundred, you know, uh, candidates to sign on to the fair and equitable redistricting, um, pledge. And so we've just been trying to do those things that we know, um, you know, are important to giving people as much information as possible on the issues that we've been hearing from people across the state. And right. I think that, you know, I'll say one reason that this, this, you know, I mean, I've said many reasons why the race is really important, but I think that this race is mostly, to me, you know, because of redistricting, it's it's got a huge impact. And the state's been on a certain, you know, trajectory and direction, and we've got to decide if that's the direction we want to stay and, or if we want to, you know, or if we want to go in a different direction. And what does that look like? And, so, um, so um, sorry, you know, I, I'm rambling. I apologize. No, that's okay. <laughs> I, I, you were making a lot of points I wanted to cover, and I want to come back to the redistricting because I don't think people uh, really understand that. It's a little bit um, more distant from our lives. But um, what I want to talk about for a minute is this. It's one thing to get yourself out to vote. It's another thing to get your significant other out to vote, your um, children who may be of age to vote. But I, I want people to really think about getting beyond that. So most of us now have Facebook accounts. We have Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're on um you know, other um, we we have our own personal listservs of people that we communicate with. You know, normally what we use them for is um, showing what we had for dinner last night, or you know, pet, cute pet pictures or vacation pictures. But you know, I, I want people to think about how to put that technology to use in something that really counts, and that's an election. So it's not. I'm saying just about getting yourself out. It's using this technology that we now have um, our own hands on to help actually bring out more votes, other people. So talk to me about how people can do that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's it's a couple of different things. And so, I mean, I think on the technology front, you know, um, you know, like there's just so many ways. I always um, do these presentations about, you know, like people's appreciation of like what does it actually change to, take to change an election or an outcome in an election. And there have been so many, you know, house seats that have come down to three votes, 12 votes, six votes. Right. And even, you know, like in, even in the city of New Orleans for the municipal races, we saw that, you know, some of the city council seats came down to 200 votes or less. Right. How many of us have 200 Facebook friends, you know, 200 you know, plus followers on Twitter and all of these other on all the platforms that you named? And so those are huge opportunities to encourage folks to vote um, and, to, um, and to put the message out that, you know, like I'm trying to connect with five, you know, five people that will commit to vote. You know, put, you know, put your name, you know, put your name, you know, in the comments and, you know, hashtag I'm a voter, you know, or, or I voted for and with Ashley Shelton, you know, and, and so meaning that like Ashley asked me to vote. And so I'm going to vote because Ashley asked me. Right. And so we've been having lots of different, you know, hashtags, you know, we've been talking about power voters at the Power Coalition that we're asking folks to make the pledge to vote in this election, to take the census um, and to, you know, do one act of accountability once, you know, we're through the elections with uh, elected officials, 
to become power voters, right? And the idea of just the power voter is like somebody that's engaged, right? And that, you know, we've been doing hashtag power voters um, and getting folks really excited. There are times across the city, um, well, they're across the state, but, you know, we're just trying to get folks excited about the idea that they actually do have the power to, to reach people and um, and to hold accountable, too. Like, I think that we assume that, you know, folks will tell you they voted, but, you know, that's not always a true indication of whether or not they took the time to do it. We know this is going to be a cold weekend. Uh, you know, we know there's going to be a lot of distractions and lots of other things going on. And we're just asking folks to go out early and vote and prioritize it and then take your photo. One of the things that we've been asking folks to do is, um, you know, go vote early and take your photo and say, I'm looking for five people that will make their commitment and take a picture with their I voted sticker um, and post it to my page. And so we've been asking folks uh, to do that around the state. And to just get, create some excitement and some energy, and that's such an easy thing to do. And five is not an unreasonable number, and um, and it's not about who you're voting for as much as it is about, you know, like, let's get the energy up around voting itself. And so that's the big push that, you know, that we've been making around the state, which is, you know, like, each one, reach one, you know, like, you and five other folks, you know, like, that you're engaging yourself with five other people to just, you know, get them to commit to vote. And, okay. you know, and it's so easy to just make that request. And have folks take yeah, photos and, of their and, and, and quite frankly, let's not settle for five because you're right. Most people have, you know, a, a lot more than that uh, of people who are following them on Facebook, for example. Um, so I and, and 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 the other platforms. I think it's it's really important for people to think, you know, spend a few minutes, plan on um, whether it's Friday or Saturday or or uh, I think Thursday, right close to the election. Get get on the horn and and sit there and 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 do some communicating and get the and and get the message out. I, I think it really really could make a difference. And let's not forget our young people. Yes, our younger yes. people can make a difference in this race big time. And you have to really kind of communicate with them because they're a little bit cynical about politics and about who's doing what. And I think we want to really make sure that um, they. Um, Realize that this is in a, this is this is about their lives and their future because you've got all kinds of climate issues. There's terrible things going on in the country right now with uh, uh, the people who are in power in 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 at the uh, national level who are are really gutting uh, a lot of our environmental protections. So making sure that we deal with this at the state level is so critical. So yeah, I think it's it's more than I don't I don't want to settle for five. How about fifty? Making an open challenge. I mean, I think that we've just been trying to like get that commitment of those five. But hey, look, make it an open challenge. You know, let's let's see who can fill their timeline up with the most I voted photos and you know and friends. And so I think it's it's a great challenge. And like I said, hashtag uh, power voter. Um, and, you know, and we're just trying to get folks to, like I said, to just build some excitement and energy and, you know, create that kind of challenge. And, you know, and I've been really, you know, so excited about the young people. Um, you know, like we've had students from so many different places, you know, uh, Ben Franklin has been sending students, um, and they've been text messaging. And so, uh, one of the, you know, we do our work in a couple of ways. So we have this, we have access to the state voter file, um, as a 501c3 table, which is what we are. Um, we're a nonprofit, but, you know, we have the access to the voter File. And then we take that and we really target infrequent voters of color um, and really try to engage them. And um, and we do that by door knocking, phone banking, and uh, text messaging. And so, so far, you know, we've knocked, you know, almost 298,000 doors. 
Um, we've wow. sent out over 375,000 text messages wow. reminding That's folks great. to vote. Um, we have we have been geofencing different events, and so if you have been to a football game, then you probably you know are on the internet and you keep seeing Power Coalition ads pop up. It's because <laughs> it's because we are using technology to really talk to people. That's great. Um, you know, but but the young people have really kind of been standing up. You know, and, um, and we've had some fun at a couple of the different universities, um, really getting them engaged and helping them understand, you know, what, what the process is. And they've also been some great volunteers, uh, Xavier, uh, Dillard, um, you know, Southern University, they've, you know, they're doing textathons and, um, you know, and different things. And so we're just trying to get folks involved, you know, as much as possible. And so, um, you know, it's a, I know for this particular you know, election, it just really matters that we have to get our voter turnout up. And so Louisiana is traditionally a low voter turnout state. And so we've got to push through that apathy and recognize that our voices do matter. And our one vote connected to the next vote connected to the next vote is how we build power and how right. we really send a message so, about so who actually, we want to lead us. If, if somebody wanted to actually volunteer with the Power Coalition, uh, are you still looking for volunteers and, and what can they do? Yes, absolutely. So we are looking for folks to phone bank and text message. Um, and um, I can give you the number where you can call. Um, it's 504-766-9289. And that is our, so that's our, our number at the office. Call. Um, there's so many folks on our staff. We're waiting and looking for volunteers. We are trying to do um, some collective phone banks for the rest of the week and so um, and so if you're available and want to come after work and do some phone banking we are more than happy to have you uh, join us and as, as a, as a, a veteran as a veteran phone banker from uh, back in the day for me I can tell you that phone banking is really interesting because people <laughs> feel is. free to express their opinions on the phone which they might not do in person and um, you learn a lot I really in, in working on phone banks I, I I could really uh, tell you what was going to happen in the election because people people talk to you. Ashley, thank you so much for calling in. Listen, you go for it. You go for it. I appreciate it very much. And I, I want everybody out there, you hear that enthusiasm and that energy coming from that woman. You need to pick up on that and express the same thing and, and make sure that you get out to vote. Okay? And get your friends out. So um, we're also trying to provide transportation. We'll have three different vans. And then also, too, we've got several individuals that have signed up to provide transportation. So if you need transportation, um, you know, that same phone number that I just gave uh, everybody, 504-766-9289. That's the number to call if you also need access to transportation or if you want to volunteer um, in any way. Please call us up, and we're more than happy to engage you in the process. Thank you so much for do for what you're doing. I really appreciate it, Ashley, and hopefully it'll yes. work. Okay. Yes. Well, Thank thanks you. so much for the time, Gene. All right. Take care. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. All right. So we have very serious business to do this Saturday, but it only takes a little while to vote, and you can get that. E-blasts or that uh, those um, Facebook uh, mentions out the day before on Friday and save time on Saturday because we have two great events happening. There's a lot happening, actually. This is, it's, it's happening all over town. But these two in particular really intrigued me. So right now we're going to talk about Forest of All. 
So Forest of All is taking place. You know what? I want somebody else to, um, to, to do the explanation. So why don't, first of all, all three of you just introduce yourselves so when people hear your voice, they know who you are. Hi, I'm Grace Runny, the Marketing and Operations Manager at a Studio in the Woods. Okay. I'm Geraldine Lorando, from a, an artist from Montreal, Canada, and I'll be here to participate in the festival Create an Art Piece with Jonathan. Yeah, I'm, I'm Jonathan Maye. I think this is my third time coming on here to talk with Eugene, so it's a pleasure to be back. I'm a, a Louisiana Creole artist from Baton Rouge, so happy to be down here. Thank you so much. All right, give me the give me the the the, the basic gist of the whole event because it's a lot. Yeah, There's a lot going on. We've got a lot going. First on. First of all, tell everybody where you are and how to get there because it's in Algiers, Lower Algiers, and you just have to explain to people because people who are not used to getting on the West Bank. You want to make it easy for them. It's, it's actually easy to get there, but you tell them how. Yeah, so we are located in Lower Coast, Algiers, just a little bit past English Turn, if you know where that is. So you go over the river and down General de Gaulle and then down River Road, and you're right there. Um, it really only takes about 25 minutes, and we're still technically in New Orleans, but you feel like you're really far away. We're on eight acres of wooded property out there, so you feel like you're really out in the country, but you're still technically in the city. And thanks to Luciana and Joe Carmichael, who had the vision to buy the property, to protect it, to keep it green, and to open it up to artists and, mm-hmm. and the rest of us. Yeah, so we'll be down there. The event is running 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Saturday, um, and we're asking for a $15 donation at the door, but kids are free, and we won't turn anyone away for lack of funds. Um, but we're going to have some great music from Lost Bayou Ramblers and Panorama Brass Band and Blake Amos and um, Nancy Birchale, who's a harpist, is going to start the day with some really nice, light harp music in the woods for our early bird hour from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., where we'll also have a guided bird walk in the woods at 10.30 a.m. And this is kind of a good time of the year for a bird walk, isn't it? We have migrating birds coming through, right? Yeah, and the turkey vultures that actually show up every winter wow. have just returned <laughs> to make the their presence known, um, and we'll have some other walks in the woods with scientists during the day, some other science presentations, a whole bunch of our former residents and other guest artists um, out to the woods for great artistic offerings, um, and we'll also have a panel discussion about climate change and water management mm-hmm. sponsored by uh, Swiss Touch, which is put on by the Swiss Consulate and Greenlight New Orleans, who will also be doing rain barrel painting. Um, We'll have art activities for kids, a clay activity, building a clay forest, and some... um, A clay forest. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so we set up the whole Founders Studio, which was Lucianne, our Founders uh, Pottery Studio, with clay and sticks, and they construct this sort of raw clay forest out of found materials. Is that going to be movable? Uh, No, it's definitely an ephemeral project that we break down at the end of the day, but it's a lot of fun for for kids to get their hands into some natural materials and make something. I want to talk to you about doing something like that. We're having a a ceramic uh, exhibition at the um, Crevasse 22 River House on the other side of the river Mm -hmm. um, on the 23rd. Okay. And um, that sounds like something that might be fun to do over there, too. Yeah, it's a great activity. Tell me Um, more about it. So we also have a couple artists with us who are going to be part of the program. So um, why don't you guys explain to me what you are doing, because it's pretty interesting. Okay, so um, well, I was here as a, a... 
a residency artist uh, last winter, so I, I work mainly like documenting the, the natural process around the water and the river and the sedimentation that used to build the land. And then I met, in this occasion, I met uh, Jonathan, and then um, I'll let him introduce his work, but some of his work inspired me, and then we started discussing about doing like a, a joint work uh, and coming to this, well, we got invited to the festival to build a, we proposed uh, to create a monster that will be like a, a sort of uh, animal, like a, an, a vigilantes to the environment, mm. or has a, a vision of of uh, making the world better environmentally. And then so we thought of the crawfish because it's a very important uh, animal here, invertebrate, in fact. And so we're using natural materials to build uh, the sculpture, a giant sculpture, and then. At, I love the yeah. word to Jonathan. Yeah, so so Geraldine and I, we've been uh, chopping down, not chopping down, but like cutting up some branches from willow trees and bamboo uh, and different things of the like around around a, a studio in the woods and along the river. Uh, but also, you know, <clears throat> in using natural materials, uh, right, well, so we're using twine uh, instead of, you know, trying to bind it with screws or, or using glue or anything like that. Uh, but also, you know, the it used, the, the the property used to be part of the Delacroix Plantation, uh, you know, a long time passé, a uh, long time ago. Uh, so, so for you know for for that, uh, you know, I I went and picked up some some cane. I went and cut cane at the the West Baton Rouge Museum with uh, Monsieur Kirby Garin, and he's uh, he and I were just you know chatting, chit chatting, having a good time, talking Creole. Uh, he's 82 years old, and so anyway, you know, he was like, you take as much candy as you need, you know, whatever you're going to build with it, I want to just let me see what it looks like. So we're using some cane from there as like, you know, another natural material that's obviously part of the region that, that we've we've known about for a long time that we've used. Uh, so anyway, it's just using all I mean, these people, different sections. People have built uh, homes out of cane. Right. And, and yeah. A while ago. <laughs> a while ago, yeah. yeah. Uh, and bamboo as well. I mean, yeah. all all yeah. North and South America, you know, right. uh, people were using canes, some some sorts of bamboo, sorry, uh, in that way too. And there's so. also the tradition of building with natural materials and like that our vernacular architecture. And one that, like the willow is also like the willow weaving is part of a, a lot of craft from many groups and nations around the world. So mm-hmm. I think we're using all the material that is there and that also um, are, is available and cuttable because there's some, it's a preserve, so we don't, we're not going to cut trees just to build a, an art piece. But we, we made a, a little sh- short text. If we if you let us read it, uh, it's about the, the the sculpture and it talks about the monster itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So so the the the, the monster is called the uh, Crebis monster, which is the crawfish monster. So I'll start. The Crebis monster is a fantastic being, a hybrid between an invertebrate from the ancient world and a monster of modern times. He came right out of his mud chimney to give space to nature and restore its dynamics. In our eyes, the Crebis monster is a superhero, a kind of eco-vigilante anarchist. His destiny has brought him here to his, Louisi- to his native Louisiana to fulfill his mission. The dig bridge in the Mississippi levees to allow sediment from the river out onto the land, ultimately rebuilding it. Uh, the crawfish monster knows how to combine ecological knowledge with contemporary tools for its own ends. 
He creates what he wishes will become a better world, a world where all living beings, including humans, cohabit in harmony. So uh, this crawfish monster was inspired by creation stories that we find in many different uh, indigenous Native American mythology, um, mainly in the southeastern North America, but maybe otherwhere in the in the states and in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's we made like a an hybrid of a right yeah. So okay. um, you know it's clear that artists have become some of the the um, natural leaders in the environmental movement. Of course, mm-hmm. they're scientists and they're uh, just average citizens who, who care about it. But it seems like in the past, I don't know, maybe decade, artists have really come to the forefront on this. How did you come to, to be so uh, engaged in the questions of the environment? And where do you see your work going long-term in the future as a result of your interest? I have a different training. I'm an ethnologist as well. I do ethnobotany, and I just, um, I'm just out. Ethno? Ethnobotany. Okay. What is that? Documenting mostly is a cultural way to document the plants towards like a, more like knowing how the people would use the plant. For instance, I work with medicinal plants, so I would ask the elders how they use those plants uh, for treatment or for food or for craft and building houses. So it's it's a it's a science it's a science in a sense, but it's more like on this it's it's a mix of of the social sciences and the art sciences. Mm-hmm. And so, and lately I, I studied also environment. I'm, I'm really in between arts and I also have a training in photography and visual arts. But um, it comes like a clear to me. I've also the materials talks and the, the land talks and, and this is how I get the inspiration. So I, um, it came kind of naturally for me. I Lately in my life, because in my 20s I was not there, but I think now it's such an evidence and it's such a things that we live daily, every day with, with, with we see the issues. We're, in Louisiana, you see it also with the, the water here. So I, and the future, I guess, I, I guess the future is not only artists, it's a collaboration. is is like this, for me, the future environmentally, if we need to, to go through this, everyone has, has to collaborate. And the science and the, the art have, are complementary and could do much better together. Mm-hmm. So um, I have a big garden around my house. When, when I grew up as a girl in the Bronx, I had no garden. I just lived in a, in a uh, four-story walk-up house. And, um, you know, I could see a tree in the distance. That was about it. And then there was a park not far away. <laughs> I did spend some time in the country at, at my Mother's families uh, had farms and, and so forth. But um, the, the longer I've spent in my garden, the more I have noticed that the plants are relating to each other in a mm-hmm. way that is both awesome, um, beautiful, but also can be kind of um, scary. So um, I have in the front of my house two um, sweet olive trees. One is robust and growing and happy with the world. And then right on the other side of the walk, I have one that is just plain 
on its way, it's going to die, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, I haven't figured out why, what the difference is, but I suspect that the one that's not doing well, there's something about that sago plant that's next to it, and there's something about another tree that's not far from it, that they seem to be saying, <coughs> excuse me, get out of the way. <laughs> there seems to be a, a, almost a, the kind of territoriality that we as humans deal with mm-hmm. seems to be something that's happening with the plants. Have you noticed that? Well, there's a lot of, of, of things that uh, there's the plants between them. Sometimes they help each other. Sometimes they could fight each other with some kind of hormonal, like they spread the hormones to to pull, push away the other plants, but there's also all kinds sort of bacteria in the soil, mushrooms, you know, that's, it's a, we're discovering a, a, a minuscule uh, world, like a tiny world that, that lives and that lives together with the plants and the animals and the birds, but these, those bacteria or mushrooms that live in the soil often are, are they help, they help each other. One brings the sugar, the other gives the water, and they, they collaborate. So maybe on one part of your land, there is such a life in the soil, and on the other side, something happened. And it, oh, it could be the plants. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, we could study it. We could try to find <laughs> the, the, the answer. It's pretty I, I, interesting. I'd, I'd love to find the answer before it goes bye-bye altogether because it, it doesn't seem like it's going well, to that's, make it. What's so beautiful about nature and really what a lot of our work is based on is that nature has all these lessons to teach us about Mm. both ourselves and human interactions, but then also how to care for it. So that's really what is at the foundation of a lot of our residencies and bringing artists in to act as storytellers for the environment. So, yeah, so when you select artists, your your project is... is, um, it's something that invites the public, but it also is a retreat for artists to work and to do work that they don't get to do, let's mm-hmm. say, in their average lives that may be more complicated with other jobs and so forth. How do you choose them? And is, is their interest in um, the interaction between art and nature part of a, a sort of a criteria that mm-hmm. you have? So we put out a thematic call, and artists write a project proposal. So both Jonathan and Geraldine wrote specific project proposals, and our call right now is called Adaptations, Living with Change, so it's really focused on climate change and projects that are working to address that or sort of interrogate that in some way and what adaptations we're all going through as a part of that. Um, so, yes, it is a retreat, but for Restival is really the one day that we get to invite the public out, and that's why we love it so much and to have everyone come in into a space that we normally have to keep private so that artists can focus on their work um, to really be able to share the land which has been so lovingly restored by our botanist Dave Baker for the last 15 years, getting rid of all the invasive species on the property. Um, and he'll be doing some walks in That's the woods to job. talk about. Yeah, he's mm. cut over 25,000 Chinese privet in mm. the last wow. 15, 16 years. Um, so he'll be doing some walks in the woods during the festival. And one thing that Jonathan and Geraldine didn't mention is that the crawfish monster at about 1 o'clock will have its own second line into the festival. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Oh, wait, okay, now, how does a, so monster, a, a, a monster made out of branches have a second line? Well, it is lifted into the air and processed with ah, a brass band. Okay. So we're right. pretty excited about uh, honoring the crawfish in that way and having it enter the festival. And, uh, and, and as we all know, uh, crawfish, of, of, of course, live in these little mud castles that they build. And actually, on Crevasse 22 at our site, they have these little mud houses all over mm. the property. 
until somebody comes along and mows them down, which makes me so mad, but mm-hmm. it had happens too. But um, yeah, it's it's uh, to use the crawfish as a symbol of what you're talking about is, is great. Um, I want you to make very, very clear again exactly the hours, how people get there, a phone number that they can call because, okay, at the last minute they lose their directions and they have to call somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, the festival will be happening at a studio in the woods this Saturday, November 16th. So after you vote, head out to 13401 Patterson Road in Lower Coast Algiers. And there's more details available at our website, which is a studio in the woods. Org, um, or you can call us at 504-392-4460. Um, and we'll be out there all day with music and food and art and activities for kids. It's really a great event for the whole family, and it's supposed to be a beautiful, sunny day. A little cool, so just bundle up with your layers, and we'll have a beautiful day out in the woods. A studio, a studio in the woods dot org. Okay, that's the key thing. I think... Um, if people want to really check in and find out what's going on. I know that you all are going to do something magnificent with your your monster crawfish. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I know something a little bit about wooden monsters. <laughs> you know, the one that we built down a crevasse. Is it still there? It it made it all the way until this last storm. Not not the one yesterday, but the one just before this, yeah. when we had that same kind of big high winds, <laughs> and it finally went down. But it lasted from, when yeah. was that? When did that we was, put it That in? was in, in June? June. That was the in beginning June. of June. It lasted from June until October. Hey, that's pretty nice. Not bad, huh? Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, Studio in the Woods, Forest of All. It's a wonderful event. It re- It's beautiful out there. It is mm-hmm. beautiful. And it doesn't take that long to get there. You'd be surprised. It's only nope, what about, about 25 minutes. 20 minutes. 25 minutes. Thank you so much for coming in and have a blast and maybe Thanks I'll so much, get Jane. out there. We'll thank see. you. Yeah, All right. You. Thank you. All Thanks right. Now we're going to talk about yet another event that's happening on the same day. You know, you can do both. You can do all three. You can vote. You can get to Algiers. And then you come back and you go to the French Quarter right by the Mint where the Jazz Museum is, and at that location, they are going to have something that is just so special and incredible, and I just had a taste of it. And I, guys, oh, my God. I've always been a cheese lover. As have I. I have, I have to admit it, and I know <laughs> you guys are, because you were doing something entirely different. It's you true. You were an urban planner, it's right? It's true. I was an urban planner and uh, have since made the jump into cheese, which is not the most direct path, but it has sure been a delightfully tasteful one. And, um, and yeah, and now here we are with uh, a festival um, for cheese yes, uh, to, yes. to help New Orleans and everyone around the region celebrate um, this really, truly wonderful food. And, and Nikki, yes. what, what, what were you doing before you got onto cheese? Well, actually, um, I've been a board member with the French American Chamber of Commerce for almost five years now. So this, seeing this festival evolve has been like watching your child grow. Um, when I first came on the board, we had the dream and we were ready to make it happen. Last year was our first year. And then we were lucky enough to have Liz and Rachel come on this year. And it's just been great to watch it evolve into something so great for the city. So, uh, I imagine you had a pretty good crowd last year. We had an amazing crowd. We actually exceeded our expectations, but we're in a great location, and who doesn't love cheese? 
<laughs> and I'm sure you're going to have a great uh, turnout again this year. But tell me a little bit about what people can expect. Sure. So the Fête de Fromage is the name of the festival, or where you can also find fromage, it. Fromage, of course, for those fromage. who don't know, is the French word for cheese. cheese. Absolutely. Let's just yeah. make sure we get that out and there. And so when the French American Chamber of Commerce approached us last year with this idea, um, we were excited to jump on board and help mm-hmm. make it happen. Uh, my partner Liz and I both work in the cheese industry and have connections across the globe with cheesemakers who, when we told them about this festival were excited to sign up and come on out to um, meet their adoring fans and, and sample their um, delicious cheeses to, to the crowds. And so that's what they did, and we're excited to welcome them back this year. So so basically you'll have um, – give me a sort of a picture of what sure. it's like. Sure. So yeah. the, the festival is Saturday, November 16th, and, of course, we encourage everyone first to go vote. Take your selfie, like Miss Ashley said, um, with your voting sticker, and then come on out to the festival. Um, we are going to have um, different villages with a variety of different cheesemakers. So I'm – So very, a village would be like a cluster of A cluster of, of, of tents, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so um, we've got – you know, uh, uh, cheesemakers representing the greats, um, the really traditional yes. old world cheeses that, that we all know and love. Gruyere, Manchego, um, Parmigiano Reggiano, Pecorino Romano. Um, the cheeses that are, you know, truly world Everyone famous. Everyone you just and, mentioned I love. And absolute classics. And so we are thrilled to be, to be sharing those. But um, we're also excited because, you know, in recent years mm-hmm. there's truly been an American renaissance in cheesemaking. And so there's mm-hmm. um, uh, great cheeses so from... Like Whole Foods didn't, didn't yeah, well, and St. James Cheese Company, too, particularly locally. There's, you know, we've been working hard to build uh, demand for cheese here and create a market. And, and you know, we've been uh, over the past 13 years or so, um, really a great job trying to educate our customers and, and make sure that people have the opportunity to learn more. Because, you know, this, this cheese is sort of an endlessly fascinating thing. It starts out mm-hmm. as milk, and it can become so many different things. It can be hard. It can be soft. It can have a fluffy rind. It can have a hard rind. It can be crumbly. It can be creamy. And so, you know, there's, there's, you know, something for everyone to explore here. Um, I'm very excited to be bringing a southern cheese village um, featuring cheesemakers from across the southeast U.S. Oh, um, wow. And so, you know, the American cheese renaissance really took off in the late 90s, early 2000s, but it was slower to launch um, in the southern region of this country. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're thrilled to be, you know, representing these um, smaller creameries who, you know, many of them don't sell outside of their local farmer's markets or their local regions. Um, but we've got people from uh, a couple cheesemakers from Missouri, from Mississippi, from Georgia, um, and, and other places. And Louisiana? And so- uh, Louisiana, there's not a lot of cheese making happening right now. There's um, some very small-scale goat cheese uh, operations. Um, the closest cheesemaker that we have is actually going to be uh, from Tylertown, Mississippi. It's Maute's, uh Progress Milk Barn, and they're going to be bringing Creole cream cheese, which, of course, has a storied history That's here in funny. Louisiana. Creole cream cheese I'm Louisiana. excited about that. We have to go to Mississippi We have to go to Mississippi Come for on. it today. Yeah, <laughs> you know, our, our climate is a little bit challenging for dairy animals. Is that what uh, it is? It yeah. is. You know, uh, the dairy animals can do well in heat and they can do well in humidity but when it's both hot and humid um, it it really places a strain on the animal. You see lots of fluctuation in their milk output and so um, it's not the easiest place to to be a cheesemaker but again we're we're excited that there are some smaller startup operations that are Mm -hmm. you know gaining some traction and we want to see those grow Um, but yeah the festival the closest is going to be from Mississippi and so we're we're psyched to have some Creole cream cheese um, and they make a really wonderful Creole cream cheese cake as well. What 
is Creole cream cheese? Tell people because cream you know it used to be a real something that you would walk into any store and there would be Creole cream cheese. Less so today. Yeah, so it's not like a Philadelphia style cream cheese. Yeah, it's, it's not, not something you spread no. on a, a bagel or or anything like that. It's going to be more like a fresh curd or like more closer to like a yeah. sour cream. Um, and so you'll, I, I like to eat it on top of like, you know, fruit. I will cut a, a bowl of strawberries yeah, or peaches. Yeah, it's a great to fruit. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and scoop some on and, and really just kind of get that peaches and cream flavor, strawberries and cream going on. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty distinct in that way. Mm-hmm. So Nikki, what's your favorite cheese? My favorite cheese is Gouda. Okay. Gouda is my favorite. Smoked Gouda, but you can you can't miss me with a good Gouda. <laughs> and why? Um, I think that for me, it's the there's a variation of light and hearty based on how you pair it. So I think that that's what draws me to it. And it was kind of with Gouda, it was kind of like my first foray. You know, when we're kids, like everything is mac and cheese, right? Everything is like the basic of cheeses or your craft slices. So as an adult, that was the first cheese that I actually enjoyed. And so I've tried so many different variations of cheese. I think it was because it was the first one that I tried as I, as my palate matured. So Gouda remains my favorite. So what 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 made you make this you know more serious commitment to cheese well why is it so important to you well i think that um as a board member of the french american chamber of commerce we looked at how we could marry something fascinating and wonderful about france with the culture here in new orleans and so the cheese festival came about that way and i think bringing first of all the cheese festival is for the novice to the the high-end cheese um, connoisseur. Is there something for everyone at this festival? And because we incorporate um, aspects of New Orleans culture, we have second-line bands, we have baby dolls, so we have so many wonderful things. Last year, we had Mardi Gras Indians. So I think that it kind of brings things together. Yes, yeah. right, right. That, that that was our thoughts exactly when we were coming up with this festival. So I think it's cheese is wonderful, but I think it's a little bit deeper than cheese. It's just bringing a wonderful aspect of French culture, mm-hmm. marrying it with New Orleans, and again, who doesn't love cheese? Yeah. <laughs> and we're pretty excited. There's going to be some um, some pretty unique uh, festivities yes. at the celebration. So uh, Nikila Hope uh, she. Uh, kind of hinted at the second line that's coming, which also involves an 80-pound wheel of cheese um, mm-hmm. and our wonderful... our wonderful the marrying MC. of cultures. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> And our wonderful MC uh, Trixie Mink, yes. who, of course, is a really uh, notable burlesque dancer around town. She is uh, the official cheese queen this year. And so she's going to be overseeing all the festivities, knighting the Gouda gentlemen and, and a variety of other uh, pun-related <laughs> titles uh, for people so around the fest. you guys are just having a blast. Absolutely. We are. Not just we yeah, well, and we also have, you know, uh, chefs participating. So um, we have uh, Chef uh, Mason Hereford of Turkey and the Wolf um, and uh, Dan Stein of Stein's Deli. They're going to be racing to crack open uh, giant wheels of Parmigiano-Reggiano um, and to take the title of King of Cheese. And while they're doing that, we're going to have a noted cheese industry expert talking about the cheese. And then you can actually go taste that cheese because Chef Dan Assis from Ramon and Three Muses is going to be making a pasta dish that he's actually going to be tossing inside you the know, wheel of Parmigiano-Reggiano. Um, because cheese is not just delicious 
on its own, but mixing it into other things is is such a big part of yeah. why it's so important. I mean, making omelets with cheese, having pasta with cheese, having just a plain old cheese and tomato sandwich on toast with mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. I didn't have lunch. <laughs> we <laughs> have cheese. Way closer yeah. to you. I've been munching away <laughs> at your cheese, and it's such. It's like, actually, the, let's 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 just talk for just a minute about this one cheese that you brought. This brie. The, I love brie, but this brie is incredibly. Yeah. Good. So Why this, is it so good? What well, makes, this what is, makes a good brie. Well, you know, a good brie is is always going to have a double creme, which means that there's extra cream from a different vat of cow's milk added to the batch of cow's milk that they're using to make the cheese. And so um, you get that really luscious, kind of creamy flavor. Um, I like brie-style cheeses because they have kind of cruciferous vegetable notes. They sometimes taste, you know... um, I don't know. They're, they're just really delicious and, and wonderful on a variety of things. And so, you know, if you like this cheese that I've brought today, which is Fromager de Affinois, who, uh, for those who are Say not that here. slowly. Fromager de Affinois. Uh, de Affinois. Yes. What so, does that mean? Um, I don't know. That's a good question, actually. That's a good <laughs> I'm question. Sorry, I no, it's okay. I'm, I'm unprepared on that one. But, but what's exciting is that, you know, if you know that you like brie, you can come to this festival and you can ask, um, we're going to have some cheese concierges mm-hmm. on hand, and you can say, I like brie. Tell me what I should be trying because there's 150 cheeses that are going to be a- available for everyone to sample at the festival. That's overwhelming. 150? Yes. 150 cheeses. We have 30 cheesemakers coming well, from across the globe. Well, you better eat while you're at it because otherwise... Yeah, that could have repercussions. Right, exactly. You'll, you'll want to, you know, work some fiber into the mix for sure. But, you know, if you come and you say, I like a brie or I like a cheddar, you know, they're going to send you um, to taste some really, truly incredible examples. So if you like brie, you might go to Sweetgrass Dairy's tent um, where you can taste Green Hill, and that's a little farm mm-hmm. in Georgia. You might go up to uh, Shepherd's Way Creamery and, and try their Hidden Falls. So, which is so, a sheep's so these milk are cream. Your, um, your top ten, or we're hearing it. Some well, no, I've just give. I mean, I, I, you know, it's hard to play favorites. I, know, I, I know, love I know, all I know, cheese, I and but these are some of the ones that. Yeah, we absolutely. Should, we uh, should make a point of trying Green to Hill, out. Shepherd's Way uh, has uh, Hidden Way. Falls. Hidden Falls, so it's a sheep's milk brie, actually. And so you can kind of, you know, be, and then there's what a little, was that last one? sheep's milk. It's a Hidden Falls is what the, the name Falls. of the cheese. And then there's, uh, you know, you could go to Le Bon Vie and try a goat's milk brie. And you could then begin kind of understanding more about the different, you know, the different types of cheese that emerge if you make them to sort of a similar recipe, but you start with a different type of milk from, a, you know, various animals, whether it's sheep, cow, or goat, you're going to end up with a very different flavor profile. And I think that's what kind of sets us apart from other festivals is the educational part. The um, You actually get an education of cheese, you know, when you come. So last year, my parents actually came in from Michigan to attend the festival. And my dad, he like, he's like, Wait, you're know. from Michigan? I'm originally from Michigan. I've been living you're in Louisiana. No, I've been in Louisiana almost 20 years. Next year will be 20 okay, years. Well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who that? Okay. <laughs> right, right, right. So, but no, they came and my dad, he was like, I didn't realize there was that many cheeses, and I think my mom had to carry him out of there, you know. <laughs> um, but it's it's so educational because like there are people on hand to answer questions, and um, the people that are t- are working the villages, they're so excited to tell you about what their product is and how it's made, and so I th- that really sets us apart that we actually we're going to provide a learning experience too. 
That's a, you can't beat that. You can't beat learning, having some cheese. Now, what are you going to wash it down with? So, I mean. Oh, so, yes. Yeah, we've got a range of really wonderful wines. Yes. Um, we're partnering with Urban South, which mm-hmm. we're really excited about. And, you know, one thing that we're rolling. Well, what is Urban South? Urban South Brewery. Uh, they're brewery. our local brewery. Local and, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to be featuring their Paradise Park um, and also their Holy Roller IPA and Charming Wit. Um, and what we've done is we're going to have signage at the bars that says, if you're drinking Urban South's Charming Wit, you're going to need to go try it with this specific cheese. Yeah, we're so gonna go hunt pairing, it out because yes. the pairing is, is what's going to, you know, kind of blow your mind. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like every every step along the way, we've tried to really infuse education, as yes. Nikki was saying, mm-hmm. so that you can kind of take your love of cheese, whether you're a novice or whether mm-hmm. you, you know, you've already done the deep dive and, and continue your education and also just have a lot of fun. Besides um, the uh, wine, which is alcoholic, non-alcoholic? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yes, so yes. there'll be uh, Mountain Valley uh, still in sparkling water. We'll have some iced tea and, uh, and some other beverages as well. So plenty of yeah. things to watch. Kids are absolutely event. welcome. This is definitely a family event. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a funny thing to say about, you know, a gourmet kind of event that it's it's cheese, but it's also for kids mm-hmm. because of all the activities that you have scheduled. Yeah. So. Yes. I, I have to be honest with you and say that I did not know about it until I got, I guess, a, an email from you, and that was the first time I heard about at Cheese Festival. Of course, we can't outdo, you know, the, the fried potato. What is it? Fried chicken. Fried chicken. The, the fried chicken, but there's also there's some kind of potato festival, and I'm saying, <laughs> wow, we're getting down to it now. I mean, yeah. This is <laughs> thing, but uh, cheese makes a whole lot of sense. Well, this was absolutely incredible. Um, what what do you guys do? When you're not doing a cheese festival. <laughs> well, for me, I actually work for the city of New Orleans for the Road Work NOLA program. I'm, I'm the outreach manager. What, for is, that program. Oh, what is that, Road Work? The Road Work NOLA, we're actually the communications and outreach entity for the over $2 billion worth of FEMA-funded work that's happening. Oh, uh, letting people yes. know wh- mm-hmm. what's happening. Engaging now. the community, um, assisting, resolving issues. You know, our when you call our Road Work NOLA hotline, we're pretty much the last the last stop for you. If it's a um, Department of Public Works, City of New Orleans issue, we see it through to resolve for you. Um, we encourage everyone to start with 311 to get an actual number, but once it gets over to us, if it's not project-related, we ha- we help residents through it. But, again, we are also that communication and public outreach entity for infrastructure projects in the city. Very important job because, I mean, before you got started, when it, in the very beginning when there was a lot of road, mm-hmm. road work going on and there really wasn't any guidance. There was actually none. You, you could be so stuck. You, you, I, I remember one time coming out of the city hall area and I was trying to get across Claiborne mm-hmm. and it was just like, I don't know, it just seemed like every street had a roadblock, and I just I couldn't figure and it out. And those are things that we can kind of manage. Like if we have projects or even if there's maintenance issues, we can make sure there's not successive streets blocked. Um, we have a dedicated hotline. We have a website. We have social media platforms. Rachel and I were just talking about the importance of having that grassroots reach in addition to technology and social media. So we kind of marry all of those to make sure that we're reaching everybody in the city. Fantastic. That's a, that's an important chore. And what about you? What are you doing? So yeah, when I'm not festival? well, I'm still working in cheese. So I'm actually the business manager at St. James Cheese Company. I work with uh, a lot of the cheesemakers that supply us with our wonderful products. St. James um, Cheese. That is one of the best things that happened to New Orleans. Uh, really? Yeah, it is. I agree. It is. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're just excited to be able to, to share our love of cheese with everybody. 
um, both at St. James and also through this festival. So, so you got cheese in your veins. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, every day. It's her calling. <laughs> it's her calling, and she's so good at it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but ladies, now what are you going to do at your festival since there's going to be a lot of people coming through there who may come to you first to get them to vote? you got to do something special now. Yeah, let's, well, let's put so, something up right now. Yeah. Some kind of signage, some kind of, you know, a little bit of a communication with all of your cheese vendors who say, do you love this cheese? That's great. Now go vote. It's not a bad idea at all. And we'll certainly make I'm sure. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. We're like, have, have it's, you it's voted? It's going to be that tight. Mm-hmm. It's going to be that close. And just think about how ter- I, I, I can't get into it politics in terms of saying anything specifically, but you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. But, you know, early voting turnout, because my office is adjacent to the voter registration office, voter registrar, and so I've seen a consistent traffic since early voting, so there were so many people that came out to early vote, so maybe a lot of our Cheese Fest visitors have early voted. Well, that and, you know, the festival really only runs till 4.30, Mm -hmm. and so you have plenty of time. If you didn't hit it up on the way in, you you can do it on the way out, and we're going to make Sure, you're going to be getting reminders on both ends. You know, probably mm-hmm. if you called Ashley Shelton, she can probably give you some signs that you could put up yeah. here and there at your festival. Absolutely. It wouldn't hurt. You're going to get, what do you think about? About 5,000 people. 5,000. Okay. If every 5, one of the 5,000 people who came to your cheese festival went to vote, Okay, you get my drift? Yes, yes, absolutely. We've got our work cut out for sure. We're please, gonna... please, please help. Please yeah, help. Everybody will, out yes. there, um, you must vote this week. Did you hear me? Get your friends. Um, instead of sending out pet pictures and what you had for dinner last night, you're going to send out some notices to your friends to get them to vote. Take it some is... pictures of you voting. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much. This is Gene Nathan, the Crosstown Conversations. We'll talk again next week.